This talk was given by Ron Hogan Green Sensei at the Zen Center of New York City. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and co-director of ZCNYC. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or find out more about the temple's retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org ccnyc. Thanks for listening. Good morning. This is a koan from the Blue Cliff record, case number 37. In the main case, Panchan giving instructions said, in the three worlds... There is not a single thing. Where should one seek mind? So that's the con. Very simple, very direct. Panchan, circa 730 to 814, China. And this koan is from the Blue Cliff Record, <clears throat> um, which is a koan of a, a, a book of 100 koans, which tend to point directly They're not nice koans. They're very direct, as is this. Not all of them, but many of them. Uh, They're kind of a Rinzai-style book of koans, which is one of the two main schools of Zen, uh, with an emphasis on koan study. And I thought I'd do this, uh, bring up this koan, in honor of Roger Falling who has entered the Zendo before you as a new student. And on his petition, he signed, committed to, and said to you, I come here realizing the question of life and death is a vital matter. He's come before us and stating that, that realization. I wish to join the Zen training program of the Mountains and Rivers Order. I accept the rules of this order and assume full responsibility for them for observing them. Please guide me in my practice. Every one of those lines is crucial. Please guide me in my practice. That's an invitation, a plea to all of us to help him awaken. And so I thought, out of respect for that plea, for that vow, that I'd, I'd give a talk on the direct realization. And as I've said before, the, the folks who come on Sunday, there's, it's always a very um, widespread crowd in their experience of spiritual practice. So we have perhaps 10 people who maybe never practiced any kind of zazen or meditation, or perhaps have, um, but may or may not fami- be familiar with Zen training. And we have people who come virtually every Sunday. We have formal students who've made this vow. Uh, we've had people, we have people who've practiced for 10, 20 plus years, uh, been to many sessions, work with the teachers in the Mountains of Rivers Order. And so uh, it's, it's always an interesting challenge to give a talk that holds everybody, that speaks to everybody to one degree or another. And of course, if you heard the words that were offered before, uh, I actually could not clearly hear them, but if you said dark to the, to the mind and radiant to the heart, which is what we usually say, uh, these talks always speak that way to us. They're working on some level. It may be accessible to us, to our intellectual mind. It may not be, and that's really what this koan is about. So the subtlety of these koans, uh, 
and other koans like them, is within the uselessness of trying to see into the profound nature, your nature, from the dualistic, from the relative mind, from the mind of one thought after another. Um, and koans are designed to address that because they offer something to that mind and then you approach it from that mind and you can't see into the koan. doesn't make any sense. You can't. You can't understand your way through a koan. Now, you can explain koans and you can offer... I mean, that's what I'm doing in a, in a slightly more sophisticated sense. Please forgive me. Please literally forgive my transgression in doing this. Um, but none of this would help you in the Dok Sun room and fig, being face-to-face with your teacher and actually passing this cone and seeing into it. None of it would help you. But it might inspire you. It might inspire you to, to practice. It might kindle your own desire to awaken. And that's my hope. So in the preface to this uh, koan by Yan Wu, he says, he's introducing the koan, and he spends a lot more words on it than the koan itself, interestingly enough. He says, it's futile to brood over the swiftest action that could catch the lightning. When the roaring thunder assails from the sky, you hardly have time to cover your ears. There's a couple of different ways to understand what he's talking about here. It's fruitful to, to brood over the swiftest action that could catch the lightning. I mean, when shit happens, it's happening right now. Right now. And conceptual thought isn't going to help. When the roaring thunder assails from the sky, you hardly have time to cover your ears. What is that roaring thunder? Fatal illness? Sickness? The car accident, you know, the moment when something happens and you realize something just happened and it will never be the same. Your life, the circumstances of your life will never be the same. And it just happened a second ago. That it can even happen with something that comes out of our mouth. We say something and the situation will never be the same. I'm not talking for the better. Have you ever had that experience? I have. It's also helped me, having that experience has helped me keep my mouth shut and many other subsequent experiences. So there's no sense thinking and contemplating this koan or this moment of reality to try and understand it and categorize it and fit it into your nice formed reference system that we've spent a lifetime arranging. It's not going to work. There are plenty of other places in our life we need to do that to function in the relative world but not to answer the fundamental question of who are you? What are you doing in this life? What does it mean to be born? What does it mean to die? won't help you with those questions, even though thousands of books have been written on them. He goes on, the scarlet banner fluttering over the head, the twin swords whirling behind the ears. If you're not equipped with an able eye and swift hands, then could you match that person? Some people lower their heads and keep pondering trying to figure it out with their delusive thinking. They scarcely know that they are seeing countless ghosts around the skull. So the scarlet banner fluttering over the head, the twin swords are whirling behind the ears. It's pretty graphic imagery. For me, it brings up the the image of death, that, that, you know, none of us escapes. 
If you're not equipped with an able eye and swift hands, how could you match that person? Panchan, he's talking about. To see into your Buddha nature, you have to do battle with your delusion. You have to enter into directly seeing that our endless thoughts are not the reality, not the actual reality that, that is true, that is trustworthy. They have a reality to them. It's extremely provisional. It's very karmic. It's very conditional. And this battle with our delusion is not a casual thing. I mean, from our perspective, as is said in the preface, we see countless ghosts before ourselves. Wherever we place ourselves, there's a ghost before ourselves. The things and ideas that we create with our mind, we take as the real reality. We don't have to see ghosts around our skulls. And we don't have to be a ghost. We can be a real person, a true person. And then he concludes, Now tell me, if someone does not fall into delusive thinking or get caught up in gain or loss, having a very clear understanding of the matter, how will you face such a person? I will try to show you an example. Look, and then he goes into the koan. So how will you face such a person? How will you face yourself living in your deluded world with your deluded thoughts? With the karma of that, that's Buddha number one, life is suffering. That's the karma of delusion. He didn't stop there, luckily, or he would just say life sucks. But he went on from there. That's what we're doing here. So this cone is directly challenging us. It's you know, putting it right in front of us. So Panchan giving instruction, teaching, said in the three worlds, there is not one thing, not a single thing. Should one, where should one seek the mind? The mind here means in the three worlds, there isn't a single thing. How does one address this? Where does one seek, where do you find yourself? How do you find the truth in this? The three worlds are the worlds of desire, materials, and non-materials. In other words, it's everything in the world. It's the entire world. So he could have said, it's a traditional Buddhist formulation. In the entire world, there isn't anything. Was he saying, none of this exists? Clearly he isn't. So where do you find yourself? Where do you see yourself, given that? There's some stories about Panchan that kind of fill him out a bit. One day as he walked in the market, he overheard a customer speaking to a butcher. The customer said, give me a cut of the best quality. The butcher put down his chopper, folded his hands before himself, and said, sir, where is there any that is not of the best quality? Upon hearing these words, Panchan had an awakening. Now, you know, you could go down the street and find a butcher and say to them, you know, give me a, a steak, that's the best. And the butcher could respond this way, and probably you would not have an awakening. So there's a context here, obviously. And that context is that Panchen had a deep and abiding question into his fundamental being. Who is he? Who am I? What is this? 
I remember having the very clear thought when I was eight or nine or ten years old someplace in there, what the fuck is going on in this world? All I see is suffering. I see it in my parents, one of whom was my stepmother, which was additional suffering. I see it in my dead cousin, who's just died of uh, kidney failure and couldn't be saved. I see it in my three cousins and their family who burned down in their house in New Jersey. But I see it walking down the street, and I see it in people's faces. And I see it in the demand for more, 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 and no matter what we get. Now, my thoughts weren't quite that sophisticated, but that was the, you know, the first thing I said, what the fuck is going on here represents all of that. You know, what is this about? So having that, and then practicing that, and inquiring into the question, when the timing is right, there is the potential for an awakening. A moment of clarity that permeates our whole being and beyond. So what did Panchan realize for himself when the, when the butcher said, Sir, where is there not any of the best quality? Does that resonate with the Buddha's words on his awakening? From the beginning, all beings are whole and complete. There isn't a single being that is not of the best quality. On another day, Panchan witnessed a funeral and heard one of the mourners wail. The red orb inevitably sinks into the west. Who knows where the soul goes? Now, we don't know if that person actually said those words. That's the literary presentation of it through the centuries. But they're saying something very clear. Death is inevitable. It's inevitable. Who knows where the soul goes? What happens then? Who am I if I die? Who am I now if I die then? Does everything come to the end? That's the end of it? And the more I look at it, who am I? You can even reduce that to I. This one, what is it? In the funeral tent, the deceased person's son cried out, Alas, alas! These words reverberated through Panchan. He then returned to tell his experience to Master Mazu, a great, great master, who confirmed his awakening. Obviously, someone in tune with life and death and his own internal question. Now, perhaps we're not. After all, we live in a society which is designed through every subtle, manipulative, and highly skillful way to draw us away from these questions, to distract us. And I don't have to name those distractions because you can name them better than I can, and they're more personal when you name them. After Panchan assumed the position of the abbot at a Zen monastery, a monastic asked him, what is the way? The master cried out, Ah! The monk said, The student doesn't understand your meaning. The master said, Go. Get out of here. Master Hakwan, 800 years later, commented on this koan. He said, The three worlds are only mind. Myriad things are only consciousness. Everybody understands this. Everybody knows this. He goes on, Panchan saying is a pearl in a worn-out cloth pouch. Those who do recognize it, for those who do recognize it, it is a treasure. Yet somehow it seems that no one really understands this saying. Careful here. So the three worlds are only mind is Buddhism 101. Anyone who sits for any period of time recognizes 
that we are making up this world as we're going along through our thoughts. I mean, eventually, as your mind settles down a little bit, for you to be confident enough to actually trust that you're seeing your thoughts one by one, ongoing, beyond the crazy jumbledness that we ordinarily go through life. But as we quiet down a bit, we begin to see, oh, I'm seeing that thought of that car or that thought of that judgment. I'm actually seeing that. It's coming into existence. I'm being aware of it. I'm letting it go. And where did it go? It's gone. That's the reality I live out of? It's like, holy shit. This is the reality I've lived my whole life out of? Something bubbles up into my consciousness? I take that as the real thing, and it bubbles away? Or I can prolong that by attaching to it, because we discover as we sit zazen, if we sit more than a, the first time, that the karma of a thought is another thought. We begin to see that process. That every time you have a thought, the result of that thought is another thought, unless you actually let that thought go. And you have to be conscious to do that, conscious in a particular way, aware in a particular way. In other words, you have to be practicing zazen or mindfulness or something that tunes your awareness to a craziness that goes on thought after thought after thought and results in this world that we see around us. So this is Buddhism 101. Everybody knows this. Mind creates the reality we experience, we say. It's a Buddhist cliche. So Huckman says, it's a pearl in a worn-out cloth pouch. But those who know it recognize that it's a treasure. But he also says, somehow it seems that no one really understands this saying. Is he saying... There's only a few people who could actually understand this saying. Those, those are the special people who could understand it, who are smart or bright enough or have enough enlightenment to understand this saying. Or is he saying something else about understanding itself? When we sit sadzen, it quickly becomes apparent, although we tend to forget it, that what we create with our thoughts, with our perceptions, with our emotions, with our feelings is the reality we take as fundamentally real. Within Zazen, we can let go of thought. We can let go of feeling. We can let go of the three worlds. I'm not speaking of repression. I'm speaking of consciously recognizing the thought, the feeling, the perception. Honoring that in its recognition and letting it go. And coming back to this full, whole, complete moment of your existence in this breath. So we can let them go. But are we truly letting go of thoughts and things and phenomena? Are we truly letting go of those things? Or are we letting go of the idea of those things? Isn't that an interesting question? Take that, you know, there's a tree out there that I'm kind of attached to. It's a pipple tree, for those of you who know I believe, I'm told it's a pipple tree. Those of you who know what a pipple tree represents in Buddhism. So, there's a tree out there. Let go of that thought, please. See that thought? Let it go. Where's the tree in all this? Where's the actual tree in all this? Did any of you experience the actuality of that tree? 
you experience the thought of the tree, the word of the tree, but the actuality of the tree. And if you didn't experience the actuality of the tree, how would you experience it? How would you do that? How would you, by direct experience, experience the tree? I mean, it seems obvious. The tree's out there. You're in here. You can't, right? So there's two things. And off we go with our life. Two things. Everything in the world is two things. That's this koan. The three worlds are nothing but mind. Separate, apart, discrete thoughts about things. Well, that's a pretty desolate existence. If you think about your mind stuff, it's a pretty desolate existence. All you got is your thoughts. And so naturally, in that desolation, we're going to reach, right? We're going to reach outside, looking for love in all the wrong places, etc., etc., etc. Fill in the blanks, looking for whatever you're looking for, so that we don't feel our desolation. Is the idea of the tree the tree? Why is there so much discord within us? Anxiety. You know, the fundamental thing that we seem to rest on is anxiety. We take that as just the way it is. I mean, it's so prevalent that we just accept that base level of anxiety as, as the reality of who we are. Always dissatisfied, always looking for something else or avoiding something or being overwhelmed by it, so I'll just pack it in and be numb and dumb. Are we mistaken the ideas and words of love and intimacy and authenticity for the reality of love and intimacy and authenticity? Am I mistaken the idea of you for you yourself? How can I truly see you, truly see you, free from ideas, free from the box, that I can so easily put you in, label and put your name on it. And how can I see myself, my true self? How can I be that person? How closely have we looked at our own mind? How closely? We just take it for granted. But how closely have we looked? Are we missing something? Seeing past something? Something so subtle so seemingly insignificant that we gloss right over it? Something so large, so boundless, that although we're on this boundless mountain of our true nature, we cannot see it standing in the midst of it. We can't. And so we live in the world of endless desires, the three worlds, of endless forms of Endless bundles of things we want or don't want. And yet Panchan says there isn't one thing. There isn't a single thing. We're putting all our bets on what we desire to have or not have or avoid or be numb to. All the money we got is on that. And Panchan says there isn't a single thing. Doesn't add up, does it? Panchan saying there's nothing at all to perceive. This is the world of Mu. This is the world of the absolute. It's the koan we start with to help us realize for ourselves that there's nothing outside our own body and mind. So we chanted this morning. We, we chanted that. Have you given thought to that 
chant that we do every Sunday, for those of you who come many Sundays. Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva doing the Prajnaparamita. So what's going on there? Notice it's not the Buddha. It's the Bodhisattva of compassion. Doing deep prajna paramita. You realize she's doing what you're doing? Zazen, when you're doing zazen. Clearly saw emptiness of all the five conditions. Thus completely relieving misfortune and pain. Saw the emptiness. Direct realization of the emptiness. O Shariputra, form is no other than emptiness. All the forms you see are empty. Emptiness is no other than form. There's an implication that form is exactly emptiness, emptiness exactly form. And then Avalokiteshvara goes through everything. Sensation, conception, discrimination, awareness are likewise like, like this. All dharmas, hey Shariputra, all dharmas are forms of emptiness. Do you hear me, Shariputra? Not born, not destroyed, not coming into being, not dying. Not stained, not pure, without loss, without gain. In emptiness, there is no form. This is the direct realization of this. This is awakening to the fundamental reality of your being. No sensation, conception, so the rest of the next section, no eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, no color, sound, smell, no realm of sight. And in the larger sutra, the larger Prajnaparamita, it goes on for pages, Every conceivable thing that you could possibly name is listed as no. Just in case you miss the idea, the subtlety of the idea. The answer is no. And having seen that for oneself, having actually seen that for oneself, thus the bodhisattva, the one who hears the cries of the world, lives prajna paramita, lives this wisdom, with no hindrance in the mind. No hindrance, therefore no fear, far beyond eluded thoughts. This is nirvana. Well, where is nirvana? Are you missing it? It can't be very far away. What's the point of doing this practice? What are you going to do, live in emptiness? Live in deadness? It's got to be right where you are. It has to be. It's the whole point. When you try and show the world emptiness, you have to bring out the world of form. It has to be within forms. But it's not going to help you to say, that's emptiness, that's emptiness, that's emptiness. Because already there's a tremendous dualism in you pointing to it and on from there. And that's why we have teachers to help us in this. That's why we have teachings. So that realization is real and not some mind game. It's impossible to intellectually understand clearly that the world of form is the world of emptiness itself, and the world of emptiness is the world of form. I mean, you could play that intellectual game, but you're not going to see it. Mind and dharma, mind and form, a one wholeness. When we think mind, me, because we think we're our thoughts, is here and forms are out there. We live in a mistake, in a mistaken way of understanding ourselves and reality and all that that entails. A master made a comment on this. Where can mind be found? He asked. 
Examine for yourself. Immediately striking, I would say, what is this? So what did, what did the master just said? Immediately striking, hitting the person. Now, we would regard hitting the person usually as abusive. But here, he's answering the question, where is mine to be found? And he's not answering it by saying, mine to be, is to be found in there. That's not what he's saying. What's the direct experience of Panjan said, you have to look for it yourself. No one can do it for you. In the three realms, there isn't a single dharma. So where will you seek mind? The foundation of the four elements is empty. So where does Buddha abide? The firmament is unmoving. It is still and speechless. If you come face to face with it, the whole point of this practice then there's nothing left to do. Take care. This is such a wonderfully direct koan. It's inviting you to realize yourself. Not later. Here. Now. It's saying, if you come face to face with it, what could it possibly mean? How do you see what is between you and your own face? You can't. How can you see What is between you and your fundamental being? What is stopping you? Well, we can answer that question. We'll take a shot at it. Our long-established mindless habits, our endless thoughts, our timidity, our fears. Koans are direct, directly inviting us to see this for ourselves. Shikantaza is inviting us in a different way, a much more subtle way. There's no ordinary way to understand this koan. The Dharma itself are concepts and thoughts. My talk falls in our ears, and the tendency is to think about it, form opinions and judgments. We ask you not to do that to the best of your ability. That in itself is the awakened fundamental mind when you just listen. What we call things are no things. And yet we're continually fooled. We don't have to be fooled. Sit long enough with a real question. Practice looking deeply into zazen at your own mind, which seems to be our sense of our separate self. And you will see the nothings that we so firmly adhere to. You will see that they are nothing. You will see how firmly we are stuck in our ideas of ourself. So looking past the idea of mind, the thought of mind, the word of mind. Where is mind to be found? Please don't explain and don't point. It's an open book test. It can only be you, you yourself. Yet how can this be expressed without ideas, without words, and without pointing? Thanks so much for listening. For meditation supplies such as meditation cushions, incense, malas, liturgical instruments, books, and more, visit the Monastery Store at monasterystore.org. Support for your spiritual practice at home.